This morning we're going to be continuing in our series, working through the first of Paul's letters to a church in a town, a city called Thessalonica. And the letter is known as 1 Thessalonians. If you know where it is in your Bible, you may want to start turning to it. We're only going to be reading a few verses. Um, It's virtually at the end of the Bible. That's probably a good way of describing it. So get past the Gospels and Acts and Romans and Corinthians and a few other letters and you'll come to uh, Thessalonians, and we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And uh, this is a letter written to a fledgling church, a church which had only been going for a few weeks before Paul had to leave the city for riots and uh, for pressure to get out of the city. And it's a church in a big city. I don't know whether we quite realise, but Thessalonica in those days was probably a couple of hundred thousand people. It was a metropolis. It was a giant city And yet these people are accused of turning the city upside down, we can read in the book of Acts. Something powerful was happening. (laughs) Really, really powerful. And it's such a great letter for us to be working through over this term. Uh, I say over this term between now and Christmas because it covers so many of the clear gospel basics. It helps. It's written for new believers, but actually for each one of us, there's so much in here which we need to remember, to remind ourselves of, to grab hold of, to consider afresh. And this morning's passage is one of those where, you know, whether you've been a believer for days, weeks, months, years, or even decades, my hope and prayer is we will find so much in here which will speak to us and challenge us about the nature of God and our relationship that we can have with him. And so um, we're going to read the last three verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're starting in verse 8, which says as follows. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And Father, we want to thank you that while that letter was written by Paul, to a church nearly 2,000 years ago, that it can speak to us today just as powerfully. And so, Father, we want to say, please come, Holy Spirit of God, and help us to hear your word. Help us to let it sink deep into our hearts, that it would shape our lives for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Wow, I think when we started the series two weeks ago, I made the comment that uh, we were going to break it down into small chunks so we could really focus on it and enjoy it. And do you know what? I think this is too big a chunk for one week. There is so much in here that I looked at it as I was doing my prep and I was thinking, wow, I really like about three or four weeks on this. And... uh, Don't panic, we are going to stick with one week, but you may find there's a lot of content this morning. So there's this lovely description about the Thessalonians, where Paul is reporting what he's heard elsewhere about 
uh, about them. And in verse 9, he says this, they tell, you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. And I just want to pick up, just in those two verses, we've got three hallmarks of faith. Three hallmarks of a real living faith. First one's this, that people turn from idols to God. The second is that they serve God. And the third is they await Jesus' return. There is an expectation that Jesus is coming back again. And that's a particular theme actually Paul develops over many of the chapters in Thessalonians. So we'll, we'll pick that up at other points in time. This morning, we're just going to focus on the first one of those three things. Turning from idols. Now, I know I've done a book recommendation recently, and I don't normally try and do more than one book recommendation in a series because I just think, you know, one book's enough. And uh, maybe that's just the pace I read at, uh, confession time. I'm a very slow reader, and getting through books take, takes a lot of challenge for me. But I do want to recommend another book. And uh, I've rather sprung this on uh, Jan, so we don't have any copies in the bookshop, but she has said to me that she is happy to acquire some if you would like a copy of this. It's a book written by uh, a man called Timothy Keller. He leads a significant church, Presbyterian church in New York. He's also, uh, a number of his books have got on the New York Times bestseller list, one particular one, The Reason for God, which really explains why we need to understand there is a God and the importance of God. Uh, Spent a long time in the New York Times bestseller list. And uh, a few years ago now, he wrote a book called uh, Counterfeit Gods. That's it. That's what it looks like. That's a hard copy version of it. Counterfeit Gods. And if, as I'm speaking this morning, you're finding that the Spirit of God's catching you up on this and speaking to you, I can't do justice in 45 minutes or even 30 minutes on this subject. You may want to get hold of a copy of this book. It is simply outstanding. And I wouldn't use that word without really feeling it is that good. It is an outstanding book on the whole subject of idols and idolatry in a way which is very provocative about society we live in today and really helps us to grab hold of something and understand what is going on in our society today and how it's so easy for each one of us to be duped and brought into worshipping counterfeit gods. Counterfeit gods by Tim Keller. Advert's over. So, I guess if we're going to look at turning from idols to God, first thing we need to be clear about is what do we mean by idols? Now, I reckon if I was to grab Chris Paris, who's been part of this church since 1971, and went to Holiday Bible Club, which, by the way, is fantastic, and it's lovely to see, what was it, 20... 5.30 people, I don't know, saying, yeah, we're going to serve our socks off this week for the good of our community. 100 plus kids coming to Bible Club. Amazing church, absolutely fantastic. Well done team, really, really good. If I was to go to Mark and, uh, and ask him, uh, sorry, Mark, Chris, and ask him about um, his Bible knowledge from years and years ago, and I'd say, name me some idols. Don't worry, Chris. You're, you're safe. 
I'm not going to pursue this. Probably, if he remembered some of those Old Testament stories which he would have read, perhaps words like Dagon would come up. Dagon was the idol which kept on falling over before the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament because of the power of God in the Ark of the Covenant. Or maybe he'd talk about Baal and the Asherah poles. They seem to crop up all through the Old Testament as idols people worship. As things which the Israelites, God's chosen people at that time, seemed to trip over and keep on worshipping these things called Baal and the Asherah poles, whatever all those were. And maybe today we would think of a similar sort of thing. Well, you know, maybe we'd think of other gods, of Hinduism or Buddhism or Islam. Maybe we'd think, you know, those are idols. <laughs> and one could say they are. But when we think of idols, I want us to think more broadly than just things, uh, other gods that people worship in that sense. Because that, that goes so far. But, you know, idols come in all shapes and sizes, in all sorts of forms. And shock horror, I would suggest to you that many of us, actually, if we are prepared to pause and reflect, we'll find we have idols in our lives too. Now you may think, no, 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 Andrew, I've been a believer a long, long time. You've got to understand, I've, I've done with that. I did that when I became a Christian 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 years ago. Well, great. If that's the case, fantastic. But can I encourage us not to think that that will be something over there today as I preach on the subject of idols but actually to pause and to reflect and to ask the question, God, is there something here which you want to highlight in my life today, which perhaps I need to address and deal with today? And let his Holy Spirit work in our hearts. Because the one thing which is very, very clear is if we have got idols in our lives, we don't need them. We don't want them because they're not going to do us actually any good. And you may say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at the history of Israel in the Old Testament and how every time they got involved in idolatry, what happened? The nation lost it. The people walked away from God. Trusting God died. (laughs) And if that doesn't do enough to convince you, as we talk about some modern-day idols... Ones which perhaps many of us will be able to recognise, we'll see that actually our world is in pursuit of so many gods other than the living God. And look at the mess we're in. So what is an idol? Well, I guess the easiest description could be something like this. An idol is something we greatly admire or love. Hold on, greatly admire or love. Hang on, but I love my spouse. Is she or he an idol? Well, we'll come back to that in a minute. Let's try and add to that. Maybe something we worship, something which has a very high priority in our lives. You know what people worship because they talk about it, actually. Worship, yeah, people talk about what they worship. You'll meet certain types of people and you'll know, well, that's really important to them. Because that's all they do. They talk about it. They talk about this, that or the other. 
Tim Keller in his book says this. The human heart is an idol factory. That doesn't mean idol, I-D-L-E, as in it doesn't do anything, but idol, I-D-O-L, it generates idols. It's a factory. which It takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. going to read that bit again before we move on. The human heart is an idol factory that takes good things like a successful career, love, material possessions, even family, and turns them into ultimate things. Things we've got to have. Our hearts deify these as the centre of our lives. They become the focus of our lives. That's what he's saying. And he says this, because we think this, that they will give us significance and security, safety and fulfillment if we can attain them. In other words, the human heart is on a quest for significance, for security, for safety, fulfillment. I think we can all recognise that. Finding our identity. We've talked about that in our previous series uh, last term where we looked about being disciples. And actually disciples is who we are, not what we do. Understanding that actually it's all about who we are. And who we are is who God's made us to be. It's not about what we've achieved or what we've done or what we know or who we know or any of those other things. And then we talked about how being people of the Spirit, the Spirit gives us significance and security. He's the one who cries out, Abba, Father. <laughs> From uh, That uh, comment which Fiona was talking about of, of Joel Virgos out of Galatians 4 about sonship. He's the one, the Spirit is the one who makes us sure that we're sons. He brings us that sense, that deep inner sense of identity and security. And out of that we find fulfillment because we find purpose in God. And yet what Keller's saying here is the human heart is looking for something like this and if we, if we don't find it in God, we'll go and find it elsewhere. And you know, that's exactly what Paul is celebrating here that the Thessalonians have managed to resolve. That they've basically said, hey, we've done away with idols. We recognise they're worthless. We recognise they control our lives. We recognise all sorts of stuff. And we don't want them any longer. And we're going to find that, that fulfilment, that contentment, that security, that identity, that purpose in Christ. And that's what he's celebrating here. That's what Paul's saying. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Because what happens when we turn away from idols naturally is worship of God, which means that we want to live for him and we will serve and worship the true and living God. For the glory of God. The two go together. What we serve and worship will reflect what's going on in our hearts ultimately. What do you serve and worship? Let me make a few observations before we actually talk about perhaps what idols may be in our lives today. To help us reflect on how we're doing on this. Do you know what? When we're first saved, I believe often we burn all our idols. 
Because that very act of salvation causes us to go, I don't want anything else. We, we are obsessed with Jesus. We're in love with Jesus. And we're going, hey, I just don't want anything else. And, you know, at the point of salvation, I believe most, if not all of us, actually turn away from the vast majority of idols, if not all the idols in our lives. That's part of becoming a Christian. It's saying, Jesus, you're now my obsession. You're my, you're, you've done everything for me. You've taken my sin. You've taken my shame. You've dealt with all my hurt and pain. Of course I want to worship you. I, want, I don't want anything else in my life. And yet, that first love can so easily get dimmed over time and dulled over time. And so, please don't just think, well, yeah, no, I know I did that however many years or months ago. Just reflect, is that still the case? Is that still the case? I think also though, as we go on in our relationship with God, the Father, because he loves us, wants to highlight things in our lives which perhaps we haven't known or haven't noticed before. And sometimes those are things which draw our focus away from him. This is part of what's called sanctification, our ongoing process of being made holy in God of living out the life which God's given us. And maybe for some of us, even today, this will be one of those moments where we go, cool, you know what? God's just put his finger on that in my life. And it's time to let go of it because it's become an idol. And I'm going to trust you instead, Father. Of course, the big challenge is, will we let go? Will we let go? Will we let go of those idols and let God become our magnificent obsession? The total obsession of our lives. It'd be very easy to say, well, yeah, I guess it's a bit of an idol, but it's okay, I can manage it. Really? Really, can you manage it? Are you sure you can manage it? Because I would argue that these things are like the thin end of a wedge. And gradually it becomes more and more in our lives and greater and greater in our lives. Let's root it out now. If the Spirit of God puts his finger on something in our hearts and lives, let's root it out as soon as he does. Rather than start to live with it, as soon as we give it space in our lives, we stop seeing it for what it is. I think the other thing, though, which can affect us on this is prevailing culture. 75 years ago, if you talked about a celebrity culture in the world, post-war Britain, celebrity culture, and how people would end up worshipping sports stars and maybe politicians, I was going to say, maybe not. We'll forget the politicians one. Other celebrities, actors, actresses, musicians, singers, or other people, the world would have gone, you're mad. You're absolutely mad. That's not going to happen. That's never going to happen. Or 75 years ago, if you were to say that people will have this overarching desire to acquire more and more to make them feel as though they have worth and value, which is ultimately what consumerism and materialism wrapped up do, that didn't exist 75 years ago. It just didn't exist. It was because a, a man in the, in the United States in the early 1950s had this idea 
to change how we did advertising. And he said, basically, instead of telling people, here's a product, if you want it, come and get it, he started to say, you are deficient if you haven't got it. You're of little worth. You're of no value. You're, you're, you're worth less than your neighbour if you haven't got one of these. And the whole nature of advertising changed in our society from the 1950s onwards. And all advertising now is based on, basically, not if you need it, come and get it. But you need it to be right, to be whole, to be healthy, to be whatever the advertising jingle wants to do. That's how, that's how idols have, are created. That's how society changes. And I think we have to recognize that prevailing culture will push idols into our lives. And I'll say, hey, worship this. Worship that. Because society doesn't want to worship God, generally. And if they're not going to worship the true living God that we know, then they're going to have to find other gods to worship. And we live in a world which is full of idol worship. Idols stop us, being, uh, stop us wholeheartedly pursuing God, delighting in him, and being courageous in bringing his kingdom in all its fullness to others. Friends, I think it's time we think about how do we spot idols in our lives. And I would suggest it's really easy. You know, life is full and busy. Satan, Satan likes to keep us full and busy because that way we never have time to stop and think. And so the first thing, if you want to try and work out, hey, this is stuff which is wrongly influencing and controlling my life, is go and find some space. If we go, Andrew, you don't understand. I've got three children under the age of five in my household. I've got a busy job. Sorry, that, that would sound as though I'm referring to one particular family. Jonathan, Amy, that wasn't meant to be a reference to yourselves. Um, I've got a busy job. I, I, I've got no time. Well, no, we can all control time. And actually, time can become an idol in itself. And busyness can become an idol in itself. We can all control. We've all got choices to make. Go and find some time. Go and find some time. Go and create some space. It may not be it's a massive period of space. It doesn't need to be. And then just say, Father, help me to see clearly. Help me to reflect Help me to have a look inwardly. And, I, 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 and Father, would you highlight things which are getting in the way of you? Do you know what? It's a really dangerous prayer to pray. Because God loves to answer it. And at that point, then, we've got a choice. We can either do what he highlights and do business with him, or we can harden our hearts and become disobedient to him. So please, friends, if you're planning on hardening your hearts and being disobedient to him, don't start this process because that's not going to help you. But if you genuinely want God to speak into your heart and life, this is a precious thing to do. It's a good thing for all of us to do on a regular basis. And then you may want to ask yourself some questions. And I'm going to suggest some, but these are only suggestions. They could be things like, who or what is exerting the greatest influence when I have to make choices in my life. Who or what is going to put the greatest influence on decisions I have to make in my life? And of course, we can reflect on that and look back on some of the decisions we've recently made and go, ooh, okay, that's interesting. It was more this, it was more that. 
Another question we could ask is this, who or what do I spend most of my time thinking about? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a uh, how do I forward my career, maybe it's about money or wealth, maybe it's about Jesus. I don't know. You've got to think about that. Obviously, all of us spend a lot of our, work, uh, our daily life working, and it is appropriate, by the way, to spend our working time focusing on our job. Okay? I'm not suggesting we sit in our office, our workplace, or whatever else, and just cogitate and contemplate Jesus all the time. Much as that would be nice, that would be a rotten witness. So please don't quote me at your boss saying, well, my pastor has said that I just have to focus on Jesus and you'll be happy, because I'm not saying that, okay? But outside of those normal commitments, what am I giving my time to? Another question could be this. is Who or what gives me a sense of identity? Where am I finding my identity? Do I find it in my ministry? In what I do in the church? Do I find it in my career? Do I find it in my family? My spouse? My children? Do I find it in my workplace? Do I find it in the law? Fulfilling the law? I feel good if I fulfill the law. Where am I finding my identity where am I finding my sense of significance or security or contentment these words all sort of roll in together where am I most satisfied or even am I satisfied another linked similar sort of question would be this what defines me most who or what defines me When somebody looks at me, what what do they see? What defines me? What's shaping me? What's the greatest influence on my life? What's influencing the decisions I make? Is it the grace of God? Is it out of relationship with God? Is it through intimacy with his Holy Spirit, knowing Spirit leading us and directing us? Or is it peer pressure? Is it family pressure? Is it spouse pressure? Is it what I can achieve? What I can do? How good I feel? My performance in the field, in sport, in work, my performance in society, my position, my standing. I guess another link question would be, to who or what do I sacrifice my time, my energy, my resources? They're all similarly really the same question, which is, what's the focus? What's my focus? Where's my focus lie? What's really got my attention? The other way, of course, we could ask this question would be, Who or what's getting in the way of me worshipping Jesus? Who or what's getting in the way of me worshipping Jesus? Because if we can't make something part of our worship to God, then it is a God. And by saying it's a God, that's like saying it's an idol. It's just different words, but it means the same thing. pin drop moment the thing is that's what God's after 
He's trying to get our attention this morning. So actually in the midst of a busy world, a busy life, where am I? Where am I in your life? Where's, where's Jesus in your life? Is he number one or is he three, five? Maybe he doesn't even figure. Maybe he's so low on the list you ignore him completely because it's easier. Jesus is looking for a church who have said, I'm going to have nothing to do with idols. I'm going to turn from them completely. That's the core of our faith. Saying, God, I want you to fulfill me. I want you to define me. I want you to shape me because you're worth it. And in that process, knowing that God, through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, can deal with all of our sin and our shame and our hurt and our pain. Because Jesus actually sacrificed himself. Jesus, who was also God, totally, absolutely, 100% committed to the point that he bore everything that we can be restored to the Father. And that is where God wants us, in a harmonious relationship with him. Jesus didn't just come to die for our sin. That's what he did. But he came that we as mankind, can have a relationship with our creator who's called God. Because the father longed for that and was prepared to allow Jesus to come and make a way for that. And the invitation today is, who are we going to worship? Are we going to worship some sort of tin pot idols? Or are we going to give ourselves fully first and foremost to him now you may go well Andrew does that mean we can't have money and possessions and all the other things no it's just where they are in our lives are they subservient to God do they come lower down on the list or are they high or are they higher up what's the priority what's the pecking order in your life now I just want to chuck a whole load of thoughts out there I've used most of them as examples already of things which can be can be idols in our lives I'm going to do it very quickly you may find the spirit of God picks something up and you think oh I need to go away and think about that but money and possessions it's nothing to do with how much or how much we give it's about our attitude it's about whether it's your money or God's money your possessions or God's uh, possessions whose it is or time maybe always say I've never got enough time always hoarding time Ruled by the urgent, perhaps not the important. Time controls us rather than making sure we first of all give Jesus and put him first. Maybe it's family. Do you know, in in the world today, I think we worship children. Many families are encouraged to worship their children. They put them so high up that, that marriages don't exist apart from for the children. You often hear it. And actually, kids need to know that parents love themselves, love love each other first, and the kids come second. You may disagree with me on that one, but I believe that's biblical. Actually, first of all, we start with God, then it starts with the spouse, then the children coming under that. And that creates security for them. 
they know that there's a big picture thing there. Otherwise, children are worshipped. Children are worshipped in our, in our society nowadays. Career, job, wow. Well, you've, got to, you've got to give yourself fully to your career or job, haven't you? Because if not, you're at risk of being made redundant or somebody else getting ahead of you on the pecking order. Going back to Fiona's word, the law. Maybe the law is your idol. Well, so long as I do everything it says, then I'll be okay. But actually what's happened is it all comes down to your performance, not the grace of God expressed in Christ Jesus. And actually, our relationship isn't about the law. Jesus had a lot to say about the law. He talked a lot about the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Read the New Testament if you want to see how Jesus saw the law. Jesus came to break the law, to deal away with the law, to create an age of grace, the free gift of God in Christ Jesus, the love of God in Christ Jesus, that you can't get it in any other way but by accepting it in Christ. Maybe it's about performance. Your performance in your workplace, your performance before God, your performance before others, the front you want to create, how you want to be perceived. Or things which make us feel good. Do you know there's lots of things which in society today we say are absolutely fine. Which do exactly the same job as things we say aren't. So we say drugs, well, they're they're wrong. And yet some of us may worship the gods of caffeine or cocoa or tobacco or alcohol. They're just as powerful. They're just different. If they control our lives, if we need to live for the next fix, regardless of what they are, they're still things which are controlling our lives. Maybe it's not any of those things. Maybe it's about shopping or maybe it's medication. You say, why? Yeah, I'm prescribed this. And please, I'm not saying stop taking Medication, if your doctor said take it, you take it until your doctor says you don't. But there's lots of other drugs out there which we can take, which are normal and acceptable, which don't even need prescriptions, which can control our lives. Maybe it's about our body, our health, our body image, having the perfect body. Man, don't we worship the physical frame nowadays in society? Maybe it's the, I'm fat, I'm worthless. Maybe it's, I've got the perfect body. We can worship negatives as well as worship positives. Or maybe it's the lifestyle we have. Well, I live this particular lifestyle. I have this quite glamorous lifestyle. I love, I worship my lifestyle. I sacrifice everything else for my lifestyle. Maybe it's the clothes we wear or the places we go or the people we see or the drinks we buy. or the, I don't know. Maybe we worship our lifestyle. Or success. Wow, success is intoxicating. <laughs> success can make us think, Woo, aren't I good? Ha, aren't I perfect? Success can be so intoxicating. And that can even be success in Christian things, not just in the world's eyes. Or maybe it's some attitudes, 
Some of us can worship at the foot of cynicism. Where actually we've allowed cynicism to come so much part of us. Yeah, people would say, yeah, they're cynical. Actually, our cynicism is what makes us feel good because we can put others down. And putting others down, it lifts us up. Or maybe it's other things like that, our attitudes. Or maybe it's just me. Ultimately, I just want to be first. Ultimately, I don't really want God to have his way. I just want to be first. I'm more important. My success, my happiness, my pleasure, my feelings, they will come way, way before God. Please hear this. None of everything I've just listed is necessarily wrong. Where it goes wrong is when it starts to define or control our lives or take God's primary place as the thing we focus on and the thing we worship. At that point, these things become idols. Friends, I want to finish with this. Can it be said of us, of Harvest Church, or maybe you're part of another church and you're visiting here today, can it be said of your church or of your life, they, whoever they are, people in Alton, people who come to uh, Kids Club this week, they tell of how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Can, can that be said of us? Do our lives demonstrate that? Do we live that out? Do we live it out in our workplace, in our homes? in the street, in the neighbourhood. Not just on a Sunday. It's easy to do it on a Sunday. We can all put a front on it. so easy. Have we turned? Have we turned? Have we turned our back? You know, that word turn, it's, it's like a 180 degree turn. It's turning our back on idols to serve and worship the true and living God. Do you know, it would be really easy to go for a time of ministry now, and we're not going to. And the reason is this. I feel we need to pause before God, spend time in his presence, and allow him to speak. I, I wouldn't want anybody to respond because they're feeling any sense of obligation or pressure. But friends, can I encourage us? Let's go and find some space. Let's go and ask God some questions. Let's allow his Holy Spirit to minister to us. And as he does, let's be obedient. Let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Let's find strength in God and grace in God to turn, turn away from those things which dominate our lives and control our lives. And instead, fix our eyes on Jesus, who Paul talks about, says, hey, for hope, go, uh, for, uh, he's worth everything. He's worth everything. Let's fix our eyes on him. Let's let him be our magnificent obsession. Let's be worshippers of him above everything else.
throughout our whole heart, throughout our whole lives, through everything we have, through everything we do, through everything we think about, for the glory and honour of God. Amen? Amen. We're, uh, we're pushing time, so we're going to now bring things to a conclusion. Friends, it's been lovely to be together. If you know you want prayer today, and maybe it's in response to this, but maybe it's because you want to find out more about Jesus. Maybe it's because you want healing and you've heard of healing and you're thinking, I want healing today. I just need God's grace today. Please, at the end, as we conclude this meeting, feel free to come to the front. There will be folks available to pray for you. Otherwise, refreshments are going to be served out in the cafe. Please don't forget your children. Um, please remember to go and get them from downstairs. And please be in prayer for the Kids Club team this week and uh, for all those families who will be affected. Hopefully, we pray by the grace of God expressed through that team and through that event over this coming week. Amen? It's been great to be together. Thank you.